The terrorist attack by Hamas on southern Israel has triggered that most natural of responses, a righteous anger and retribution for the victims. Israel has now tightened its siege on Gaza. No medicine, no food, no water. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says he will eliminate Hamas, remake the Middle East. But how and what will that look like? David Myers is a historian of Judaism and Israel at the University of California, Los Angeles. He runs something called the Initiative to Study Hate. And he spent three often heartbreaking decades working for Israeli-Palestinian reconciliation. I spoke with David earlier. Well, took place on Saturday was, simply put, a massacre of now 900 people and likely to top 1,000 people who were hunted house by house in cold blood, children, elderly people, women, men, and I think on its own terms must be condemned without hesitation Mm. as the gravest of violations of human dignity. At some level, the world is divided between those who believe in the sanctity of human life and those who don't. Mm. And if you do, then your first instinct has to be to condemn this without hesitation. It's important to note that this doesn't emerge out of uh, thin air. The hateful rage that drove the militants to cross the border and make their way to 22 Israeli towns in order to murder its residents emerges out of a century-long conflict that has become more bloody and more lethal and more fractious over time. Hmm. What is striking about it, I should say, in addition to the depth and scale of the massacre, is the colossal intelligence failure on the Israeli side. Hmm. So two things took place. One, a near-perfect logistical operation on Hamas's part and a near-total and catastrophic failure of Israeli intelligence. And that adds to the depth of indignation and despair within Israel. That creates a very dangerous psychological mindset in which to operate and make decisions. And that's indeed the situation in which Benjamin Netanyahu is located now. Israel's government, quite understandably, says it will eliminate Hamas. But Hamas, it may be a movement, but isn't Hamas also an ideology, David? And can they eliminate an ideology? Because one assumes an ideology feeds off certain sentiments. Yeah, I'm highly dubious of the proposition that Israel can eliminate Hamas, even in the physical sense. Israel has engaged in a strategy since its withdrawal from Gaza in 2005 of mowing the lawn, as it refers to it in the kind of coldest of military euphemisms, which is to say to undertake periodic incursions into Gaza with the objective of uh, liquidating the military leadership of Hamas. But that repeated series of actions has not had the effect of of bringing to an end Hamas's reign in Gaza, and it hasn't prevented Gaza incursions into to Israel. I think it's highly unlikely that the IDF, even with a massive ground assault, will be able to eliminate Hamas. I think that's um, 
uh, delusional, both in the material physical sense and, as you suggest, because it's an ideology of resistance that will continue until there's a reason to stop the resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that points to the larger context in which the last few days' events uh, must be situated. There would be no resistance were uh, it the case that the Palestinians had, had achieved a measure of dignity and self-respect to go with self-determination. Mm-hmm. Until those goals are achieved, the resistance in all likelihood will continue. Uh, the ideology of Hamas will continue. The practices and um, violent approach of Hamas will continue. And we will be immersed in a perpetual cycle of violence. David, the monstrosity of this attack and the images, one particular one struck with me, and that was the elderly woman, a Holocaust survivor. I'm assuming she was only a little girl when she survived the Holocaust being abducted. Uh, That does make this, in a very real way, Israel's own 9-11. I can understand the comparison. But here's the other question, though. What lessons should we actually draw from the original 9-11, the Al-Qaeda attack on New York? Because that was done in the spirit of righteous anger as well. But what do we have to learn from that? We have to learn from that that military solutions alone will not solve the very vexing problems that animated and motivated the terrorists to hijack planes and and fly them into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Here, too, we must understand that a military solution alone, even a massive invasion by Israel, even if Israel seizes control of Gaza from within, because it currently maintains control from outside, will not solve the very deep and real problem that stands at the heart of the conflict. Um, It would be illusory of Israelis to think that that would be the case, but it's entirely understandable given the depth of anger, given the fact that the sight of a Holocaust survivor being led away into Gaza taps into the deepest fears and traumas of Israeli Jews issuing from the Holocaust. There is indeed still active a deep Holocaust trauma syndrome that animates Israeli political life and informs the decisions of of its politicians. And this simply triggers that sense of trauma in the most profound way and, to my mind, clouds the judgment of political and military leaders, whose impulse, as Prime Minister Netanyahu declared on Saturday, was to exact mighty vengeance Mm -hmm. against Hamas. The, The thing about vengeance is it begets further calls for vengeance and drops us into that eternal cycle of violence. One thing that Benjamin Netanyahu said, among many, was that uh, he's going to remake the Middle East for generations. Uh, Arguably, the Middle East could do with a remaking, but what does remaking the Middle East actually look like? What are the consequences of it? The only way I can see Netanyahu remaking the Middle East is if, in the course of the conflict with Gaza, other fronts are set in motion and Israel is compelled to engage in battle with Hezbollah in in Lebanon and with Iran to its east. That is the brink toward which this 
engagement with Gaza pushes us, as if the engagement in Gaza that's forthcoming isn't treacherous and lethal enough. The real stakes are the prospect of conflict with Hezbollah, which has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of precision missiles that can inflict massive damage on Israel, which would produce a massive Israeli counter-response, which could trigger the entry of Iran into the conflict. And at that point, there will be a reordering of the Middle East, but it will bear no resemblance to what we know today, if anything actually remains intact. When you're taking on an adversary that is prepared to die, um, that really changes the whole equation as well. Yeah, it does. And it makes very complicated the kind of response that an army takes in such situations. It would be unimaginable that uh, Israel would do nothing in the face of this massacre. It must defend itself and it must do all it can to reestablish uh, a shield of deterrence such that this never happen again. But I want to also say, Andrew, that it seems to me uh, we're simply playing according to the same old script, the same paradigm, vengeance begetting vengeance. One of the things we learned from the 1973 Yom Kippur War was that the old script was no longer viable. In fact, that shock, that stunning invasion by Egyptian and Syrian forces, which indeed induced deep trauma in Israel, ultimately led, over the course of a five-year period, to the emergence of a new paradigm, uh, the paradigm of negotiation with Israel's greatest rival to that point, Egypt. Thank you so much for coming back to the program, David. Thank you, Andrew. Looking forward to better days. That's veteran peace advocate Professor David Myers of UCLA, where he runs the Initiative to Study Hate. David is also the international chairman of the New Israel Fund. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.